Hello. Can you hear me? Hey, yes. <laughs> how are you guys doing? Good. How are you? We're doing great. Doing great. Just chilling right now. <laughs> it's a very warm day outside. So I've been looking out my window and pretending that I'm outside, you know? <laughs> yeah. Same. Where are you? Uh, I'm in North Carolina. Cool. Um, I'm in New York and like there's a tree right outside my window and it's turning yellow. It's really pretty. It's the, the, the sign of the times. Are you guys on campus at New School? Does New School have a campus? <laughs> it has like several buildings in the, okay. like, in like the same block. So not really a campus, but yeah. Buildings on a block. Yeah. I lived in, um, Lower East Side and then I lived in like Park Slope and I had friends. This was after college for me, but I had friends who like went to NYU and, Columbia and like, you know, Fordham and stuff like that. And they always like, were like, okay, I'm going across the town to go to class. And I was like, crazy. I was like, wow, okay, that's pretty far to go to, to go to class, get to commute to class. Yeah. Like I heard people like ride bicycles across mm-hmm. town just to go to classes in other schools. But wow. Wow. That's really cool. Do you guys enjoy it though? Are you having a good time? Uh, I'm a second year. So like I've only been spent one year technically like, like less than a year on campus mm-hmm. and I sort of enjoy it. But yeah, I, I wish I lived in a dorm. I, because I can like have spend, spend more time with like classmates and friends. Right. So. Especially during this time when it's, yeah. I'm sorry that you guys are going through this during college. I can't imagine being a college student right now. It must've been really, really rough. So <laughs> get on you for, for, for getting that education. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so basically we have like three people interviewing you today. And then awesome. we are like doing sort of, we're going to ask different questions. I'm sort of introducing your backgrounds to like for the presentation. So I'll be ask, asking a lot of questions about like, oh, how you started this, like how, how like your, basically your backgrounds. And then Zena and Renzo will ask you questions about specific projects, which they will be like intro- presenting for the presentation. Cool. Cool. Sounds great. Cool. Um, so I guess my first question for you is how would you define yourself? Like, would you say you're like a storyteller or like, um, like, a te- um, wait, I can't remember what you put on your website because oh, creative technologist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really loaded term and it's kind of it. I, I was looking for something that, that kind of represented code being used for not Cody traditional code things, right? So a lot of people use code to build web servers. They use it to build like backends and frontends for websites. And there's a lot of gray area. I mean, you know, UX design is a form of design. You need to have a good understanding of what users want and kind of like what you're building. But to me, art is a bit more subjective and it's a bit more kind of based around feeling as opposed to kind of like purpose, right? So a lot of software engineering is purpose driven, whereas like creative technologist to me is using technology to kind of create feeling. So I think that I would describe myself as kind of like more of an artist that uses technology as opposed to the other way around. Um, but there just wasn't really a word for that. So I just adopted the term creative technologist. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I feel like a lot of things that we're doing and like a lot of artists and people are doing now are not like definable by like a word or like a phrase. And exactly. Yeah. And, and I think to, to, to hop off that real quick, like, you know, 
a painter paints, you know what I mean? Right. A sculpture is, or sculptor sculpts. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think with, with code, it is kind of interesting because it can be so many different things, you know what I mean? And so you kind of need to form a little niche for yourself and then figure out what that, that thing is that you're doing with the underlying tool. Um, and that, that leaves a lot more kind of gray area for the person to decide. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how did you start doing like coding or like stepping into this field? So I studied computer science, um, in college. I didn't code before college. I knew that I, like, I spent a lot of time around computers. I played a ton of video games when I was a kid. I played a lot of World of Warcraft, if you guys have ever heard of that game. Um, and then when I got to college, I started out doing chemical engineering. I went to the University of Rochester, which you guys might be familiar with, same state. And, uh, I, uh, was like, I'm not doing great in my chemistry classes. <laughs> it wasn't going well, but I was also taking a coding class for the, the introduction to computer science class. And I met a lot of really cool people. We were having a lot of fun together. We were like, like really kind of like meeting in the library to, to work on all these cool like things in Java that was just a new world that was introduced to me. Um, and I really just kind of like, liked the, the, the process of coding. Like it felt like with other types of, um, of studies, there was a lot of rote memorization involved. There was a lot of understand this, put it on the test here, never use it again, you know? And with coding, it felt more like we were learning like different Lego blocks to be able to use to turn into something else in the future. Um, so I kind of, um, continued from there. I graduated in 2016. Um, and I became a software engineer. I was working at HBO, uh, over in Bryant park, um, and then I worked there for about two years and then I left to join this company called Algolia, um, as a developer advocate. Um, and while I was there, I was kind of like working with other developers, trying to help them implement our API and understand that. But I knew that I wanted to be doing something more artsy. I knew that I wanted to be doing something more, uh, creative and, and more mine. So I saved up some money and then I ended up leaving that job to go find my own agency, which is sharing fiction. Right. So in that uh, kind of aspect, I was kind of like saying to myself, how can I use code as a tool again? Like, you know, this, this skill that I had built to kind of create the things that I was excited about that weren't like websites, but were more kind of like interactive experiences, if that makes sense. Right. Totally. Um, so would you talk a little, a little bit more about like, what are you interested in like expressing or like telling through coding? That's a really great question. And it changes a lot. You know, I think one of the great things about being involved in, in coding and creative technology in general is that the goalpost moves all the time. You know what I mean? Like when you're, when you're painting, I keep going back to the example of painting because it's a, it's a really old form of art, but there's a lot of different styles within painting. You know, there's realism and impression and like impressionalism and like a bunch of different um, styles of using the same kind of colors and like using the same kind of, of, of techniques and stuff like that and finding new things to look for and code and technology in general do that as well, but just at such a really quick rate. So like, for example, you know, two and a half years ago, I was playing around with processing to do generative art, playing around with a little bit with like plen- uh, pen plotters, excuse me, and like 3d printing because that was like pretty hot. And now this year, I'm more focused on augmented reality and artificial intelligence, right? So mm-hmm. it's just kind of like you can use the same <clears throat> underlying paradigm to 
change the thing that you're interested in almost year to year. You know what I mean? If you kind of keep your ear to the ground and like really understand, um, what excites you about like the process itself and like which part of the learning process really gets you, um, going for lack of a better term, uh, you can find the technology that like allows you to get that, uh, result, if that makes sense. Right. Totally. Um, I, I feel like this is a great segue for like other members to ask about like specific projects of yours, if that's okay with yeah, totally. everyone. Okay, um, so hi, I'm Zena. Um, so I was actually really interested in your project, the one that's called Choosing a Spotify Song Based on Emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first I wanted to know, like, what kind of inspired you to create that? Was it like a specific moment in your life or maybe something you saw out in the world that kind of made you think like, hmm, this would be interesting to take on? That's a great question. Thank you. I think that a lot of the projects that come out of my mind come from long walks. So like a big kind of creative fountain for me is just actually being away from the computer funnily enough. So I think especially, you know, kind of like disconnecting and just walking around and thinking of things that are um what I like to call like the tangent possible. Right. So there's like kind of like this new AI that hit the field, which was OpenAI's GPT-3, right? And people are using it to do a lot of really cool stuff. And then the kind of question becomes like, what kind of cool stuff do I want to see? So in particular, how did I come up with the Spotify one? Um, I was walking around and I was thinking to myself, like, I really like playlists. You know what I mean? I really like, a spe- specifically, I like playlist that I don't have to think about. You know what I mean? I just want a playlist to exist. The reason for this is that I do a lot of my best work when I'm like listening to music. So I wanted to be able to create playlists, but I didn't want to actually go through and add songs because I felt like that was a waste of my time. You know what I mean? So I was like, what if I use this superpower AI to do it for me? So I, that's, that's kind of where the idea came from. Uh, the implementation of it, I think might be a bit more interesting to you guys. Cause like, it's like, Oh, how could we build something like this ourselves? Uh, it was relatively straightforward. So basically what I did for that project is that, um, I use, uh, the sentence and then I pass it through GPT three to, I, I prompted GPT three to say, Hey, basically get the mood and the vibe of what you think this sentence is and then return me three artists and songs that you think represent that vibe, right? So it's kind of like a two-step process, which doesn't really make sense unless you're writing the prompt itself. Um, so it makes sense to me, but I apologize if, I, if, I, if I'm explaining that unclearly. Uh, but then I take those three songs and Spotify is a great recommendation engine. So basically I go into Spotify's API and I ask its recommendation engine. I'm like, yo, here's three songs. Tell me their energy levels. Tell me a little bit about them and then go fetch 17 more songs that you think fit this kind of vibe. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like one of the big great things about being a creative technologist and one of the challenges is kind of like looking at the tools that are available to you and then trying to push them to their limits or think about them differently. So when you have an API and you just have a list of different endpoints that you can hit, some are available, some aren't. One project that I did recently uh, involved Twitter and Twitter just didn't have an API for a thing. So I had to write code around it to make it do that thing. You know what I mean? I had to get really cheeky and, and like a little bit sketchy, you know what I mean? Around the coding. So I think that, you know, for you guys, like if you want to pursue like the idea, if you just have an idea that you, that you want to be able to implement, um, I think it's just 
right, writing that idea down, looking at the current uh, technology that's out there at your disposal, because it's just waiting for you to use it. You know what I mean? These people would love for you to use their technology. You know what I mean? It's great PR for them. And you get to create something that maybe you can sell or maybe you can turn into an art piece or do whatever you want with it. There's a lot of different stuff that you can do with code. And then ask yourself, okay, what are the parts that people aren't thinking of? What's something that's specific to me? What's something that I enjoy doing? You know what I mean? What's a problem that I want solved um, that I can potentially do with this kind of thing? Yeah, that was really great and really interesting. Um, and I feel like there's definitely like a lot of things to consider with this project. And I'm wondering, is there were there like any challenges for you when you were creating this? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. I think the challenges that I faced when building this particular project was that, uh, so the, the, the thing about GPT-3 is that it's very non-deterministic and I'm, I'm trying to like move around the technology cause I'm not sure if you guys have played around with it, but like sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll run into issues where it thinks that something is the way it is like artificial intelligence, but you think differently. So it's like when you're writing in code, you can be very specific. You can be, I want this thing to happen every single time when you're dealing with something that's non-deterministic is the term for this for GPT. What that means is that every time you run, you get a different outcome. So the goal kind of becomes more like, um, it, it becomes more like, like hurting sheep. You know what I mean? Right. So you're not, you're, you're not guaranteed to know what the next move is that the AI is going to make, but you can kind of corral it into a certain area where it can do things that you're, you're happy about. You know what I mean? So I think that that was like one of the, the challenges I faced. Another challenge that I'm facing with this particular project is that I'm planning early next year to put it out as like a, uh, like a subscription based thing. So I've never actually charged for any of my projects before. You know what I mean? Most have been free or most have been just for me to use. <laughs> um, but like, I want to make this one available to the public because a lot of people have been asking me and they've been like, can I use this? Can I play around with this? Can I like make my own playlist? And I want to be able to make that available. And it's like really straightforward. But one of the challenges that I'm facing is that there's a lot of stuff that, that needs to be done to make that a reality. You know, I need to set up a, uh, a payment portal. I need to set up a login page. I need to set up a feedback page for people to get back to me with users and say like, this sucks. This is great. This is why this is bad. You know what I mean? So there's a whole new host of challenges that uh, are, are waiting in this particular project. But does that answer your question? Sorry, that was, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And I think when you were talking about like making things public, it kind of is a great segue into my next question. Um, so when I was like mm -hmm. looking into your project, I actually saw the little tweet that you made about how you're creating this scenario about being in a club with friends and like the robot DJ kind of um, scans the emotions of everyone in the room to play the next song. Um, besides like a club as like one scenario, what are other settings or what are other instances that you see this kind of technology being used in? That's a great question. So the great thing about machine vision and machine learning in general is that it's getting closer to how humans sense and represent the world, right? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of nonverbal stuff that people do that can't really be picked up by machines because the only way for us to interact with machines right now is through our keyboard and mouse. You know what I mean? So these computers are really good at like taking a ton of data and moving things really quickly, but they miss a lot of really interesting data. So pretty much any application that can use people's emotional state, that's, this was a thing that I was really interested in uh, about four months ago. 
um, because there's a lot of really easy libraries out there. If you guys are interested in coding it yourself, I recommend Face API JS. It's really easy to kind of get started. You're able to kind of like set up a um, a loop that can like track your, how much you're smiling or how sad you are or how angry you are. Um, and then, then it's just your creativity is the limit. So in this particular kind of Spotify example, I think that the big thing that I see it being used as is kind of like curating particular tastes for people, right? So it's like, have you get like the discover weekly every week into your, into your Spotify inbox, right? So it's kind of like, imagine that, but for any type of thing that we can capture data for. You know what I mean? So if you, it, let's say, for example, that, you know, you think that you like a song, but your actual face is telling you that you don't like a song, you know what I mean? Or like that there's a disagreement there. The machine can capture that information and then leverage that to be able to determine what's the best kind of music for you. Or you can, you as the user can help guide your, um, your, your users or your, your audience through an experience. You know what I mean? So, I think the way that I'm thinking about it is that how can we just create better features that are more well-rounded to the actual human experience as opposed to the way that we interact with our computers now, which is very 2D on a screen or through a keyboard? How can we make it closer to people interacting with each other? And I think that that, that, that is a great and a path that, that I would I would encourage you to go down to kind of like wonder how can these technologies be used to make that reality. Um, in hindsight, what kind of future do you kind of imagine? Like especially one that has basically like everyone using this kind of technology. Like what kind of like future do you see? That's a great question. Um, personally, for me, you know, I, you, we always see things through our own eyes. So I just have my own anecdotal perspective of where I think things are going. But I wrote a blog post called Creative Coders are the Celebrities of the Future. And that was uh, that was for two reasons. One is that every artist, my, I can't speak for every artist, but I can speak for me, is that like I am partially ego driven. You know what I mean? I like to see my work do like the things like this are awesome for me. You know what I mean? It's really cool to see your work like impact other people. Like that is something that we all want. We all want to like have like a bigger impact than, than ourselves. Right. So the second point of that creative coders are the celebrities of the future is that the computers are so powerful and so few people globally know how to interact with them and control them and really kind of like get them to tell the stories that they want to tell. So the people that can use this technology to make really cool stuff are going to be able to create things that people just haven't seen before. So really the thing that I was interested in, and I tried to do it with my AR music videos and stuff like that too, is that I'm interested in creating new forms of media. So kind of like imagine how the camera created Hollywood. Like Hollywood doesn't exist until someone creates the technology for the camera, right? So that's how I kind of see artificial intelligence and creative coding kind of things in general is like, how can we create a new form of human art and human entertainment with the technology that exists today, you know? So whether that's five years from now or 10 years from now or 15 years from now, I think it's really important for people to 
play around with these technologies, but more importantly, play around with their ideas and see if they can make them come true with these technologies, right? So like if you, you know, like I said, had if, you, if you're particularly inspired by the Spotify thing, Zena, I would really, you know, encourage you to go check out the Spotify API yourself and ask yourself, what kind of questions do I think are cool to answer with the Spotify API? And can I do that, you know? Thank you so much. No problem, my pleasure. Um, I, oh, I think Lindsay had a question. Okay, yeah, sorry. Uh, the Post Malone Wow Project. Did you, do you want me to answer this now, Lindsay? Okay, yeah. Um, sorry, let me just read it then. Can you talk a little bit about that Post Malone Wow Project? Like what inspired you to do this? What's the purpose and how you did it? I really like that project. Thank you. So thank you. Yeah, first. Um, so as, as, as I mentioned before, a lot of my projects just come from showers or walks, you know what I mean? So the ideation phase, I wish I had a better answer. Like, like I have this like super pipeline and I go to the super wise Oracle computer and ask it a question. It's nothing like that. It's literally like I'm on a walk. I'm just like looking at a tree and then it's like, Oh, that would be kind of funny. You know what I mean? Right? Like it just pops up in my head. Um, how did I do it? Uh, what's the purpose and how did I do it? So what's the purpose? Uh, the purpose was actually, so I was scrolling through a forum that was talking about Delaunay triangulation, which is a mathematical concept that talks about like how you can connect a bunch of points in 3D space or 4D space at, at like the closest um, points, right? So it's kind of like close to like Dijkstra's algorithm. I don't know if anyone here studies computer science, um, but it's called, it's also called a Delaunay triangulation. <laughs> and I heard Delaunay and I, I'm a big fan of Post Malone, so I was like, let me, why not? So, like, um, that's, that's pretty much how I, how that the, the purpose of it was just to be funny and be an idiot. How did I did it? How do I did it was an interesting question. So, um, I highly recommend going to playground.babylonjs.com or just look up babylonjs playground. That's probably the wrong URL. Um, and just messing around. Babylon is a really great library to do 3D kind of stuff on the web. Um, so how I did this particular project was that I ran a node script that came up with a bunch of um, vertices, a bunch of points effectively, right? And then I took those points, I copied them, literally just copy pasted them into Babylon. And then I said, yo, Babylon, draw me lines at each of these points. And then at every end point, take this Post Malone sprite that I drew in like Sprite PNG or something like that. I'm a terrible artist, by the way. If you guys read my blogs and stuff like that or look at my images, you'll tell that they're barely stick figures. Like coding is one of the reasons that I lean so deeply into coding and the keyboard is because my hand art skills are just not there. Like it's awful. So like, um, then I took the Sprite of Post Malone and then I attached it to every single end, like at uh, end of each line. And then Whenever you click it, it plays a sound effect for wow. So the, uh, the code is actually up there. It's in the tweet itself. Um, and you can kind of see what I was talking about. I didn't comment on it at all. To be honest, I didn't know if anybody was going to read it. So thank you for, for checking that out. I really appreciate it. But like, if you do have any questions, please feel free to email me. Um, but the same thing I was saying to Zena, I really recommend just in general, just come up with an idea that's like a small project that you think could be fun. You know what I mean? And then just see if this technology can do it. You know what I mean? And don't be afraid of learning to code in the sense of like, you know, a lot of people ask me like, oh, did you have to learn to like, spend six years to like learn all this crap? And like, 
I, it's partially that is true. I studied computer science and I was a full-time software engineer. So I'm not saying that I don't have a huge head start that other people and I, and I respect that and I acknowledge that. But I do also recommend like for the projects that I do that you guys see on the internet, um, those are really just all at the top of my head and I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just Googling like crazy. So you can all do this too. You know what I mean? There's nothing preventing you from doing these projects. And I just recommend Google around, try to see if you can solve a thing and then just kind of like, you don't need to fully understand the code. It doesn't need to be fully in your brain and don't feel at all any pressure to kind of be able to be like, oh, if I can't write this from scratch, I cheated. There's nothing like that out there. If you find a library that does it for you, if you find like a, it's just something that can help you get your individual art out there, then use that. Use it like crazy and don't feel bad about it at all. So I hope that answers your question. (laughs) Great. Uh, I had a question. Um, I was curious about, I, so first, I, I was really interested by your to-do list difficulty estimation. Um, mm-hmm. just like that's something that I personally spend a lot of time on. Like when I'm coming up with the to-do list, I'm like, how long will each, um, sorry about that. Um, how long will each like task take me? And like that in itself as a task takes up like an hour of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like what, I mean, I know you kind of went over this as like, you kind of um, are inspired by like things that you experience in everyday life. Um, but like, how did you approach kind of this problem solving of um, like even getting to a point where you can tell a computer that this is how you measure like difficulty in terms of tasks, like given that everyone has their own skills. And so right. Like that. That's a great question. So really a lot of the projects that you'll see in my m- most recent timeline are really crushing off of GPT-3, which is that, that open AI API, uh, that I, w- that I was, uh, alluding to a bit earlier with the Spotify playlist is that it kind of has its own knowledge corpus. So basically, you know, like I said, with the herding example, I just tried to herd it in the example of saying like, look, this is like, I think a, a number of tasks that take more than four hours, right? This is a number of tasks that take one to two hours. This is a number of tasks that take less than an hour, right? And then once I kind of like trained it in the general kind of like area of saying like, okay, how long does it take to wash the dishes in the sink? Probably about 15 minutes if you're, if you're like actually doing it, maybe less, you know what I mean? 10 minutes, right? So then you kind of put that in the under hour section, right? How long does it take you to, you know, go down to the grocery store and then buy everything and then come back? That probably takes more than an hour, right? So you start to like mentally block these different tasks one by one, and then just start to come up with things that are like, like you think are good examples for it. You know what I mean? Um, and this is, this is something that, that you guys will be seeing a lot more of with programming and artificial intelligence is that it's, it's more about choosing examples is actually a really an important skill. And it's not necessarily a programming skill. Like it's one of those things where with tools like GPT three, it's actually better to be able to think about the theory of mind more so than programming. So it's like you have to choose particular tasks, tasks, excuse me, particular items that you think represent what you're trying to get at the most. And if you can do that, then GPT will just take over, right? Uh, because it's a neural net and we have no idea what's going on inside of it. It's a black box, right? So you basically go up to the genie and you're like, yo, here's pretty much what I want. And then you're trying to trick the genie into continuing that pipeline for you, right? Mm. So I hope that answers your question because I, that's, that's, that's pretty much what I did. 
Yeah, no, that, that completely makes sense. Um, and I guess like kind of a follow up to that is like, um, given that like, I mean, I'm sure you, I don't know if you've seen Social Dilemma, but I know that's been like kind of the most trending documentary on Netflix. And so like, as someone who deals with AI and who's in that industry, like what is your personal perspective kind of on corporate AI usage, um, information security and all of that? That's a really great question. And it's a really loaded one too, because there's a lot that's happening that a lot of people not aren't aware of, but it's not apparent, you know? So it's like, I think the thing about with like Instagram and Facebook and all these social media tools that we use every single day is that people kind of treat them as if they're zeitgeist at this point where they're like a big part of our culture. It's like, Oh, you're on Instagram. You have to be on Instagram. If you don't have an Instagram, that's weird. You know what I mean? But it's made by people like me who literally just go in and they take a photo image tag and they move it into a thing and they put the heart and they're like, should we put the heart on the left or the right? And they argue about it for about four hours and then they choose to make it on the left and then they go on to the next thing. You know what I mean? They put in a database. So we put a lot of kind of, um, as a society, a lot of importance into these decisions that 15 software engineers are making. So that's the first thing is that like, I think one of the big kind of reasons that I also got into creative technology was to inspire more people to understand code and to really go out and try and understand these things themselves. Cause then a, the, like I said, the first thing to learn, it's not that scary. You know what I mean? It feels scary, but it's not that scary. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the people that behind it that, that make it scary. But then the second thing is that, um, you get more diversity of thought. So it's like, you know, the Instagram example is so great because I don't remember exactly how many people were working there at the time, but I think it was around 13 employees when they sold to Facebook for a billion dollars, which is crazy. You know what I mean? That's like so much money for 13 people. You know what I mean? And obviously it wasn't like that because they had investors too. So there was money that was like, that went to the investors. Um, but like, it's crazy that 13 people can affect so many millions of people and then like have make a billion dollars from a, a giant mega organization. So in terms of where do I think, you know, AI stands from a corporate perspective, like I said, it depends on what these people are doing with this data in terms of being malicious with it. I think the problem with AI in general is that again, it kind of, it does what it's programmer is the wrong term, but, as I was saying before with like the genie example, it does whatever the wisher tells it to do in a way, you know what I mean? So it's like, if it's made by the same four dudes and they just have the same kind of viewpoint and perspective of the world, it's not going to be able to, to answer a lot, you know, the, the broad questions of the people of the world. And I actually wrote about this in my concierge post where I was like imagining like a concierge for like everyone in this room could be to completely different. Like you guys are students. So you're going to have things that are talking about, exams and things they're talking about professors and dorm rooms and like how to make friends in college but that doesn't apply to me anymore you know what I mean so mine would be more about like what do I do with my 401k how do I get ready for my 30s like you know what I mean there's like a bunch of different questions that I would be interested in knowing AI you know to get me to answer or to, to have answered so I think that the real the hope okay so here's what I think it will actually happen and then the hope so I'll do the hope first because I think that's more exciting so the hope is that AI will become more decentralized in the sense that people will start to use it the same way that they use cars, where it's like people don't understand how cars work, but they know how to drive a car. And that's for the most part good enough. Like we only need a certain set of mechanics, but if everybody can drive a car, that means that most people will be able to use AI to get to where they want to go. Right. Mm -hmm. 
what'll actually happen, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, is that AI will increase the economic inequality that currently exists because there's only a, a few people who know how to leverage it at its maximum power. And when you can do that, you, you open up a bunch of windows. So like when you think about coding and, and companies and stuff like that, and the Instagram example about affecting a hundred million people, it's like, imagine I opened up like a, like a pizza shop at like in, in, you know, in union square. Right. And I had to serve a hundred million people pizza. That's insane. You know what I mean? There's no way that I could serve a hundred million people pizza, but I can write an app that serves a hundred million people. That's easy. You know what I mean? I don't have to do any extra work if outside of serving one person or the hundred million person. So I think that that's the thing about to think about with AI is that like these people who are creating these apps, they're not putting in any more work, but they continue to collect benefit. Right. So when you think of like the, 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 the future of artificial intelligence, it's like who already has most of the benefits, who already has most of the data, it's Google and Facebook and Microsoft and Apple and Amazon. You know what I mean? So they already have all this data. So their lead is like insurmountably high. You know what I mean? So it's like catching up to them is a really big ask for the first thing. But like I said, for the second thing, the thing that we can do as individuals to kind of like protect our data, but also kind of like build the future that we want to see, like I said, is teach ourselves these tools too, to like fight fire with fire effectively. You know what I mean? Learn AI, feel powerful, create the stuff that you want to see in the world. And most likely Amazon will come and buy it from you for a million dollars, $2 million. You know what I mean? And then you can use that to angel invest into other people's things or do whatever you want. You know what I mean? There's so many options out there. And one of the real reasons that I also inspire people to get into tech um, now is just because there's just a lot of space for opportunity. You know what I mean? There's a lot of cool things that you can do um, ethically and create things that really do affect people at scale. Sorry, this question got really long and rambly, but one more thing is that I created a lot of Instagram filters. I deactivated my Instagram for now because I was just spending too much time on it and I wasn't enjoying myself. So I apologize that you won't be able to see them. But one thing that I learned when I was making filters was that like, I got up to like 900,000 impressions on my filters or something like that. And I was crazy because like, I was thinking to myself, like even if an impression is just someone moving their face in front of it for a second, right? That's 900,000 seconds that the things have been seen. You know what I mean? And that's on the low bar. You know what I mean? So if you want to have like an effect on people's lives, you know, download Spark AR if you really like Instagram. You know what I mean? Like figure out like what AI thing that you're interested in. Figure out these APIs. Like do something that you can, that you like doing and that you want to create. You know what I mean? And maybe it will just affect a person's life or even just, you know, write blogs. Like the, the, impact that you'll have that you won't necessarily see immediately will come. I promise you, you know what I mean? You just got to stick to it. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think uh, it's super interesting to hear your take on it and to kind of really lay out like, again, like what the hope is and what maybe actually will happen. Um, just because uh, like you said, the disparity is already so large and um you know, like people are using the term surveillance capitalism and whatever in, in terms of like data mining and all that. So like it feels hopeless, but at the same time, it's kind of like a double-edged sword because to have agency, you need to activate in the same space. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's super interesting to kind of hear uh your full take on it. Um But 
also as kind of this is uh um on a tangent but i just kept throughout throughout your work i just kept seeing a lot of like a uh, repetition of like cube motifs or like mm-hmm. square motifs um and i'm actually not a communication design major i'm um in the constructive environments major so that stands out to me as something that's like a little bit more architectural um like is there a reason why that that keeps sticking around with you or is it was it based off of like your abstract play that inspired something more tangible or i love that question honestly because <laughs> like like i literally the, yes the cubes thing so i i think that with a lot of the ar stuff that i've done in particular is that there's two things 3D modeling is like really, really hard, man. It's like really difficult. Like I've just like tried to like do 3D modeling and like, like I said, I'm terrible with a pencil. So like I try to think of the cube as like the, the fine, just like example. You know what I mean? Like it, it gets the point across to the, mo- like, like you can spend all of this time, like really kind of like nailing a model. And this, I get into this with other artists all the time because some people are really perfectionist. Like I have a lot of friends who make music. And they're like, they'll like refuse to release their songs. They're like, no, it needs to be perfect. Like, I need to fix this bass line. This, this percussion needs to sound exactly like it's like hitting at this exact reverb and stuff like that. And to me, I'm just like, I don't, I don't really care about that. So, like, you know what I mean? So like the cube is, is like a primitive object, but for the most time, like for the most part, it gets the point across. You know what I mean? It serves that kind of space. It fills that kind of need of saying like, Okay, I can get, if someone can come in later and like actually add a really high quality 3D model to this. Like I tried to do like video game development, but one of the problems that I ran into was that I was just competing against all these people who had super high quality assets and had video game designers like on hand to do all these like 3D modeling and development stuff. And I just was like, yeah, I'm a lot more scrappy than that. I want to get ideas out. So the cube to me is kind of just like a way of doing that without actually sinking time into to kind of like more broadly, I guess, the last 10% of a project. So, you know, I think that a project of like creating a song or creating an artwork or creating an application, even there's the 90% of it or the 80% of it, which is kind of like the the new stuff. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you have an idea, you're taking it to like a prototypal stage. And then it's like, here's a prototype that works most of the time. The last 20% of the, the project takes so much time because that's where you're perfecting the different elements. That's where you're like, like saying like, okay, we need to really round out the edges. And like, I don't know if you guys have ever done like woodworking things before, but it's like the sanding phase. Like sanding takes forever. Like, have you ever noticed how fast cutting goes compared to sanding? You know what I mean? Like you just make broad cuts and then here's the thing, but then sanding takes like an hour, you know what I mean? Cause you really have to get in there with a lot of different grains and go over the same kind of things. And I think it's the same thing with, with 3d modeling in, in, in general, where it's like, if you can really get across 85% of what you're doing, I think that's fine. You know what I mean? Especially for things that people like haven't seen before. Uh, just kind of like figure out what's the, the basic kind of version again with the stick figures thing. I could probably take a few years to learn how to draw really well if I wanted to, but all those drawings would take a really long time when all I'm really just trying to say is here's a dude, you know what I mean? Right. Or here's a cube. So yeah, I just try to keep it simple when possible. Yeah. Actually, I think that metaphor is like, I love that metaphor just of how you approach it just because um, 
especially in like architecture, they always say like, it's a lot harder to take one thing, one basic idea and expand it in a million different ways than to um, have a million different variations of the same idea. Um, like that's kind of what it reminds me of is like, you can style 3D objects in a million different ways, but have it all do the same thing. Or you can play with something that exists and then get really deep in terms of like what you can do with that one thing and like different functionalities. So like, exactly. That's super cool. And just, just to add to that, I think that it depends on your goal. Like, honestly, if you're, if you're running a business and your business is a very narrow and niche use case, like spending that time getting that last 20% is your competitive advantage. You know what I mean? That's the thing that's going to get people to buy the thing that you're doing. That's the thing that like, it's the details. You know what I mean? It's like the, the difference between Nike shoes and Adidas shoes, the difference between like, you know, a lecturum journal versus like a journal that you can pick up at CVS. They both do the same thing, but the lecturum journal is going to feel so much better to write on. It's going to feel so much like, like, like that thicker paper and like that, that better experience. So like I said, I think if you're trying to build something that just like, like a lot of my projects you'll see are like really rough around the edges. And like, like I said, like for me, that's like, that's kind of a stylistic choice, like kind of Bauhausy because like, I know I'd rather move on to my next project than spend so long staying on the current project and updating it, you know, cause it's just more fun to me to just try new, new stuff. And that is honestly, it's a personality feeling of mine. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure I could make a lot more money, being focused on one project and building it to like a perfect state that people are really excited to use and play with. But I'd rather just kind of go crazy and just make whatever's on my mind. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, so we actually have some questions from students that were not able to show up for the interview today. Um, if it's okay with you, I'm, I'm going to like put them on the chat as well. So we have like a visual to kind of. Sure. See. That'd be great. Cool. Okay, I'll just try to. Oh, do you want me to read these out loud for the recording, and then like, or or is that does the chat show up in the recording? Um, you guys know. I'm not sure if it shows up, but I guess that you can read it out loud as well. Yeah, I'll just read it out loud because that'll be easier. Um, what was the inspiration and/or intention for writing the augmented reality app for Childish Gambino sweatpants? Um, I'm just a huge Childish Gambino fan. I'll be honest with you. Like I, I, I'm a huge fan. I bought the vinyl album for because the internet. Um, and I don't even own a record player. Like the thing about Childish Gambino that I really like and Donald Glover in general is that he kind of represents what I want to be as an artist. You know what I mean? So everybody kind of has their artist kind of like inspiration. The reason that he's mine is because he's just he's like inherently flexible and he's not afraid to like fall on his face in a new field. Like I, I did like improv comedy and I also did a little bit of one-way modeling back when I was living in New York. And like, I would run into the same thing over and over where people were just like really afraid of trying new things and looking like an idiot. And I think that, you know, one thing that's like, for lack of a better term of like, of, of just like creating art and like pushing the boundary is really just like 
like not allowing that fear to like really control you, you know, it's going to be there. You know what I mean? Like, but you kind of like work alongside it and with it to create something. So I think that he, to me is an inspiration of just saying like, just go out there and do it. You know what I mean? The worst case scenario is that like, it's like, like, what is it that it's saying? It's like, there's a 3% chance of making it, but there's a 0% chance if you never attempt, you know what I mean? Right. So it's like, to me, he's that, that quintessential representation of an artist where he was like, I'm going to write a show. I'm going to direct a show. I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to be a comedian and nobody could tell me no, I'm just going to go do it. You know what I mean? And then he got, he obviously is very talented at all these things. And I think that talent is something that you can't control nearly as much, but you can control um, working smart and working hard. So I think that, with the, 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 the theory of, again, of Donald Glover is, uh, just to find something that's like on the edge of what you're interested in and you think other people might be interested in and then just work on that. You know what I mean? Just do something there. Like don't work yourself to the bone doing something that other people have already done because they're probably going to be better at it than you, but apply your own take. You know what I mean? Have fun with it. So. What was the most interesting, exciting part of writing this augmented reality app for sweatpants? So this was actually my first augmented reality thing that I built um, outside of Spark AR. So I've been making a lot of filters um, and I found that, like, again, I wanted a lot more control. Like, I didn't really like how much Instagram kind of like got to dictate how the filters would be shared and who would they be shared to. And I kind of wanted to do more stuff with object detection. So... I think getting it running was actually the most exciting part for me. You know what I mean? Just seeing the, the video go was, was, was awesome. Um, did you try to write, did you try writing anything similar before and after the one for Childish Gambino? If yes, where can I find them? So I actually haven't, I, I, I have an idea that's been brewing in my head and I've been really busy lately, unfortunately. Um, but I want to be able to do, uh, OCR gift tagging. So basically what that is, is I want to use, GPT three to walk around my apartment and then like look at different items and then pull up a gift from the internet that it thinks represents that item. You know what I mean? So there's like, but it's using the same ish code that I used for the childish Gambino thing. So another benefit, and I know I keep taking each question and expanding on it way more than I should is that um, with code, you can reuse it. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you learn like a painting, if you do something in painting or you do something in sculpture, you can't just like rip the leg off an, off an old sculpture and like put it on the new one. I guess you could, if you're trying to make a statement, but that's going to ruin that piece. You know what I mean? But with code, if you wrote some really good code that you think could be used for another project, you could just copy paste it, steal from your old projects. You know what I mean? That is something that I rely on heavily. If you guys read my 80 projects post, like most of like the later projects I didn't start from scratch. You know what I mean? I already had this huge database of code that I'd already written. And then I leveraged that code that I already used and then just went copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. You know what I mean? For a new idea. And I encourage that a lot um, for uh, what was the biggest obstacle you had to overcome when writing the augmented reality app or did everything go smoothly? It definitely didn't. So the biggest obstacle that I faced was um, matrix calculations. So with uh, augmented reality, in general, and, and there's a lot of libraries that do that for you with ARKit, and I don't want to get too deep into the math. I, I encourage you guys to, to look if you're interested, but basically your camera is like guessing how far something is in space and then trying to overlay that thing perfectly on the camera, right? So it's like, it has to do like size calculations with this thing that's called a hit test, which is actually what I named the AR music video where it's saying like, okay, I'm sending out like a ray and then 
when that rate comes back, that's how far it is. So they used to do that with software, but on the newer iPhones and iPads, they're doing that with a thing called LiDAR, which is some voodoo magic. But basically it's like radar that uses light. And the way that that's crazy is that it's being able to pick up how like far something is with the speed of light, which is crazy because the speed of light is so fast. You know what I mean? So like for your phone to be able to see how far something is and bring that back and like in like a nanosecond is like some pretty crazy technology that I can't even begin to understand. And I, I think you should go to, if you guys have a physics department, go talk to them because they're going to be able to answer it way better. So those are my answers to the questions. <laughs> Cool. Um, do we do we have any other questions for Ram? Hmm. Okay. Um, I guess um, one of like another uh, team member of ours is mm -hmm. doing. Um, wait, sorry. Is do, uh, your startup company um, Share Fiction? Mm -hmm. And would you like to talk a little bit more about that, like how it started and uh, maybe what you're doing right now for it? Right. So I think for sharing fiction, um, I don't know if you guys have read the book Sapiens before, but I came up with the name sharing fiction based off of Sapiens, which is the idea that um, it's easier to explain with an example, like Coca-Cola. You know what I mean? It's something that we all recognize when I say the name Coca-Cola, but it doesn't actually mean anything. Like we all as a society, and by society I mean global society, decided tomorrow that Coca-Cola didn't exist, it no longer exists, right? So things like money, things like the words that we use that we agree on, there's a lot of agreement and trust that happens underlying to kind of make those concepts exist, right? So they only exist because we allow them to continue to exist. So for me, that's why I chose the name sharing fiction was that I thought that like, it's a really cool concept that most of the world is built on fiction. You know what I mean? There are the physical things that are real around us, like the, the feeling of, of the wind hitting your face and, you know, the, the taste of a banana, right? But then there's a lot of things that are built on top of that, that are, are, are added. Um, the, the, the agency itself. So it actually was pretty unfortunate that it got, I started it right before coronavirus hit, but I had a lot of really cool plans. I really wanted to work with museums specifically to make a lot of interactive exhibits and stuff like that. And obviously it was no one's fault. Um, and you know, here we are months later, but I had to kind of pivot. And I think one of the things that I learned with starting a, a, a business in general is that, Hey, it's really hard. You know what I mean? It's not easy because like you have to, to, you have to be realistic. You have to choose projects that you think are effective to the business and you have to move quickly and you have to find clients, which is a big thing. Cause if you run out of money, then you're going to be hungry. It's like, you got to like figure out how to continue to bring money into your business. So, um, I think that, you know, for sharing fiction in general, my, my initial goal was to convince other people that it was a worthwhile endeavor to use code, to make art, to sell a thing. You know what I mean? Which is like a kind of convoluted business plan. But my thought process behind it was my crazy thought process was that if I can get more people on board with the creative coding thing, I can create more creative coders in the world. You know what I mean? And to me, that felt noble because then when that's done, well, then I won't have to tell people what I have to do anymore. Like, it's crazy because like when I was a software engineer who worked at HBO, all I needed to say was I'm a software engineer who worked at HBO. And that was the last sentence. You know what I mean? Everyone was like, oh, cool. 
moving on in the conversation. When I say a creative technologist that's sharing fiction, I have to spend another 45 minutes explaining what either of those things mean. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's like I just, I get really lazy and I don't want to do that. So I want other people to understand what creative technology is and, and what sharing fiction means in, in that particular use case. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, there was a lot of missteps. I worked with a partner um, who it didn't necessarily like work out between us. We had different working styles and different kind of um, aspirations for what the, the agency would turn into. And I think that, you know, another thing that there is, there is no right answer when, when you're building anything, there's a lot of falling on your face and just trying to do what you think is right at the time. And then seeing if that, if that works out and, and most of the time, it, most of the time it doesn't, but sometimes it does. So um, to answer your question about where do I think it's going today and in the future. So today I have, I've actually kind of pivoted to, I'm working with a company now um, as a creative technologist under uh, with them to kind of like uh, use AI to kind of like write emails. So it's actually really exciting because I get to do like more AI productivity stuff, but then still be doing all this like feature building things. Um, so I kind of have put sharing fiction, not fully on hold, but like kind of on hold in the sense that I'm not like actively just looking for new clients um, in the future, I'm excited for a world where VR, AR, and AI are a lot more present. 3D printing is a lot more present because that'll make it way easier to get clients, right? So I think you guys are at a particular point in, in human history where if you learn these technologies now, um, because of Moore's law and because of the way that technology evolves around you, um, by the time that you're done with college, you'll be able to probably find these jobs that didn't exist when I was your age. You know what I mean? So I think that that is something that is like worth looking into. And obviously, you know, like I'm just a guy who who just does this stuff. So obviously I'm biased, but I just feel like a lot of this technology is going to start to come for free on people's phones and computers and stuff like that with like the new M1 chip from Apple and LiDAR and um, Microsoft creating the HoloLens and Facebook leaning into the horizon and stuff like that. Uh, Amazon leaning into uh, the Alexa kind of voice integration stuff, Google leaning into like AR and VR themselves too, as well as kind of like the future of search. These things are happening around you. You know what I mean? So if you can tap into them and like build your own agency and build your own idea of saying like, Hey, this is a creative niche that I think that I could be valuable in as this technology continues to, to evolve um, you can, you can create some really cool value for people. Sounds really cool. Um, to like, as, as a ending words for this interview, do you have any, um, thing that you would like to say for like, to like future, I don't know, like your, your fellow, um, like us exploring, um, coding and also like ways to express things and, creating narratives do you have any yeah yeah uh i think that i would just really you know encourage you all to just go and build what you can you know what i mean and i know i've kind of said that and like hovered around that idea throughout this whole kind of interview but i think that really kind of like taking an idea and bring it into reality Start with small projects, but then you'll get a lot of confidence boosts. You'll start to be able to start to see how things get done and you start to like fear projects less in general. You know what I mean? So I think that just like 
getting out there and building something that you care about and like not attaching to the outcome, which is easier said than done. Cause like sometimes I'll still post things and not get likes on it and I'll feel like crap. You know what I mean? But like, like the post Malone wow, for example, you know what I mean? Like it's weird. Cause like the childish Gambino thing on Reddit got like 500 upvotes and then like the AR for interview with myself got like 20,000 views. And then I'll post something that I put a lot of time into and people will be like, no, nope, we don't care. You know what I mean? So like you can't necessarily attach yourself to being like, this is my project. Like, this is the end goal for me. You know what I mean? If you want to do what I do and you're interested in kind of just like being a kind of mad scientist creator type, I would really recommend just kind of like building small projects that are, that'll take you like a week or two max. You know what I mean? And not week or two max to, like I said, get the hundred percent, but just get to the 80%. So just really kind of like get whatever learning you can and then get out, you know what I mean? And move on to the next project. Cause I think that that's where the real fun is. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of like living a happy life, you know, I think cause that's the goal that we're all, all after. I have a quick story about that. So when I was working at my previous job, I came up with this, this, this idea called the internal, internal screaming metric, which is basically this feeling that you're not supposed to be doing something, but you're there doing it anyway. So you have this cognitive dissonance in your head where you're like sitting in class, or for me, it was like sitting in meetings. And I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here internally, but outside I'm looking chill. I'm engaging, interacting with people. You know what I mean? It wasn't me though. You know what I mean? It wasn't who I was supposed to be. And I knew that in my head, but my outside was like, we need to do this. We need to. And it's like, why are we doing this? We're lying to ourselves. So I was just at war with myself like every single day. So if you can kind of like decrease that cognitive dissonance by just finding the thing that you think you are, and then just trying to do that through action, it's like, it's so much more peaceful in my head. now. I don't argue with myself nearly as much anymore. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I want to do this thing. And it's like, okay, cool. Let's do it. We'll figure out a time to do it. You know what I mean? You, you work with yourself as if like you're working with a young child in a little bit, you know what I mean? Because we all used to be three years old and we all used to want our toys and we all used to make a huge fit when we didn't get what we wanted. That part of yourself never really fully goes away. We just learn to cover it up and kind of like put it in an adult veneer. So I think like working with that kind of child within yourself for lack of a better term or that young person or that 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 kind of idealistic version of yourself that you're trying to create um just just go out there and do it don't 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 allow your outside world representation and what other people tell you you are and what other people tell you that you should be a lot like stop you from trying to 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 quell that cognitive dissonance and to be more who you think you are because like right now like (laughs) i like had like earlier this year you know, I, my, my net worth was way lower than when I was a software engineer and making six figures, but my self-esteem has never been higher. You know what I mean? I've never felt like better about who I am because I'm doing exactly what I want to do. So sometimes it won't always work out. And I can't promise that like the journey for everybody is going to be as clear or as fun or really as straightforward, but just, just it's, it's worth it to try because you really only have one life. You know what I mean? And I know that's cliche, but like it's cliche for a reason because it's true. So Thank you guys for having me. I actually do have to bounce because I have another call at 3 p.m., but I really did appreciate this. Like I said, if you guys have any other questions, you can find me on Twitter and DM me or drop me an email, um, and that's where you can find me. But thank you so thank much. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll see you later. All have right, see you. Bye.